Hello, welcome to the Malison Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Henry. I'm your co-host, Matthew. And today we have a special guest again, uh, Jay. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> 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 we have him with us. Uh, and yeah, today's kind of the big one. It is uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and all of that. I guess this is our Christmas special. <laughs> I guess it is, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just a crazy, you know, film and we want to talk about everything we can yeah we'll start off as a non-spoiler sort of mini review and then go to spoilers because it's very hard to talk about any of this film about spoilers um because the whole film is a big spoiler honestly <laughs> but yeah so just want to let you know before that we do have an instagram account at marvelous on the podcast and we also have a twitter account at cinema marvelous where i do reviews during the week and a podcast usually on monday um by the going on a break for a bit because it is christmas time and then be back in the new year and reviewing anything we want to review and talking about whatever we want to talk about. Uh, so yeah, feel free to follow us or share us or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just want to get into the main topic of No Way Home. And I guess from the get-go, I just want to ask, I guess, Jay first, uh, just what is your general non-spoiler consensus on what you thought about the film? <laughs> Um, I thought it was the closest thing the MCU has came to a proper Spider-Man film. Um, as an MCU film, of course, having to go from what came before and set up what's coming next, it, it does a grand job at, at, at doing that very subtly while sticking to being a Spider-Man movie and something you can definitely watch realistically as a sort of in a solo sense like away from other mcu films you can just enjoy it for, for the spider-man film that it is uh, the action is incredible the pace the the, the mix of dark and light uh, humor and tones uh, it all blends really well to make a really really gripping film mm-hmm. yeah yeah i totally agree i think it's a surprising film i think for me and it is like you said kind of surprisingly dark uh especially as it kind of goes on from its first act and i think it's it's kind of a surprise yeah it's a total surprise and yeah well matthew what did you think um of this very much the same in that i really really enjoyed it i thought it was great um mm-hmm. it balanced a lot of things it had a lot to do there were a lot of big questions asked of it and it i think it handles them all i think one of the big things that a lot of people on instagram have taken away is that john watts has proven himself with this Mm-hmm. <laughs> think um and it's a film that really takes on more than any of the previous films like what it means to be spider-man especially for the previous mcu films i mean mm-hmm. yeah Definitely the best embodiment of that of, of the of the trilogy mm-hmm. and again no spoilers but i i do think that this film maybe has one of the the, the greatest comic book endings of all time i think it's a big film mm-hmm. out with but i think it's definitely either earned or on its way to earning earning that title and it just it's it's a really fun but also very poignant spider-man film that caps off the mcu trilogy as well as just capturing spider-man mm-hmm. yeah i yeah i totally agree i think my opinions are just kind of echoes of that i think it's and like you said i think it's um it's it has a poignant sort of center and a powerful kind of idea of what the character is which I think was not lacking, I guess, from the previous two, but just a bit like muddled by the MCU around it. And 
I think this film does a better job than those two films did with making this a Peter Parker story inside the MCU. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with how Peter Parker finally feels like an, not an adult, but like a capable person, <laughs> I guess, and kind of makes choices based on not just some sort of blind uh, kind of love for Iron Man or superheroes in general, but rather because he believes in some sort of moral center that previously wasn't particularly clear i guess um and that is the middle of the film that is kind of like the whole point of the film is peter parker's morality being kind of put to the test and it's really interesting um but yeah i think it's hard to talk about this film about spoilers so i think from now on this is just going to be a spoiler talk about the whole film um because it has so much just happening inside of it so yeah from now it is spoilers so you know leave now if you want to not be spoiled we all like the film quite a lot um yeah so spoilers from now on um so yeah <laughs> andrew and tom toby and tom <laughs> uh they're together now <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh, all right i'll do real quick like it came it came out and i wasn't meant to see kate until um saturday Mm-hmm. So I was like, there's no way I can wait like three, four days to see it because I don't want to go on, on my feed. All my feed's been recently is Spider-Man No Way Home stuff. And I know as soon as the film's released, it's going to be all the leaks and spoilers. Mm-hmm. So I drove yeah. down to Kate and she was, oh, bless her. She's, she's been ill and sick, very ferociously, violently on the toilet. Um, and I, was just, <laughs> I know like you've not been thrown up for the past like two, three hours. Do you fancy going to see Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> Pulled herself there. My God, <laughs> absolute trooper! But I'm so glad I saw it. Oh my God! You mm. <laughs> definitely would have been sports. Even I saw it on Wednesday and I saw it in the afternoon. And I went on YouTube for like two seconds, and I saw a thumbnail of. I did. I looked at it very like with like half an eye. So I just sort of saw like the vague image of maybe Tory Maguire in that scaffolding place, and I was yeah. like, God damn it! Please don't say that was a spoiler. But thankfully it wasn't, I didn't properly see it, so it wasn't properly spoiled, but it was like on the day of release, it was immediately just wow. everywhere. Um, right yeah. It, yeah. So, I mean, from the get-go, do you want us to talk about, and um, Matthew first, what, what do you think about just Toby and Andrew and their entrances and how they are used in this film? Well, so to begin with, it was a kind of a thing where my my initial feeling was sort of disbelief. <laughs> Like even though we all kind of we all suspected it was all rumored for a long time, and it was literally on the screen in front of me, it was more of a sense of this can't be real. I can't mm. actually be watching this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, they they were they were handled so well. Mm-hmm. It definitely doesn't go in the category of just a random cameo. They actually have great significance, and they own their own little little art <laughs> in a way, especially Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just such a joy to see them and see them interacting as well. And I feel like they blended the tones of those three different Spider-Man very well. Mm-hmm. I think it was one, one thing that sort of stood out to me and that left me thinking was I think it was pretty pretty solid idea to have Andrew come in first. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, mainly because with his more his version of Spider-Man being sort of more energetic. I feel like it helped blend with the tone of the MCU a bit more. Mm-hmm. Sense yeah. like or the 
Like it's, it's quite comedic engines. Yeah, yeah. And probably Spider-Man. Um, and I think that's handled very well, and then it sort of sets the scene for for Toby to come through. And yeah, I think because I, I, I read your review, Henry. Mm-hmm. I think he summed it up perfectly in that they don't feel mocked at any point. Sure, they have their bit of banter about the the web shooters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all feels fairly fairly organic, and it's a it's just a great scene of banter between three Spider Men. Mm-hmm. Toby telling Andrew that he's amazing, and <laughs> and, and as well the sort of the team huddle they do. <laughs> yeah, that's a a great little moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like Toby's like, great, the Avengers. Who are they? <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, um, and for a moment, my brain went, "Is the when he said that like the first line?" I was like, "Is that mean there's an Avengers in those films that we haven't seen yet?" And then for a yeah. millisecond, my brain like exploded. <laughs> and he's like, "Is that who are they?" I was like, "Oh, okay, there was no Avengers." <laughs> yeah, it was. It was just. Yeah, it was just so much fun seeing them on there. Um, but my real highlight has to be there when when. Uh, especially for, for for the other two Spider-Men, was when Andrew saved MJ. Mm. Not gonna lie, that mm. got me a bit. Yeah, me too. Just that moment, I'm just standing there, just a bit teary. <laughs> got me. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. What about what about you? What do you think? Uh, I I just yeah, I think I was very worried before seeing this film, and I, we obviously we heard all the leaks and we we saw screenshots, but didn't. 100% know if they were photoshopped or whatever and just I had a, I kind of always assumed that yeah they'll probably be in it but I just put it like at the back of my mind for so long and just thought I won't worry about it and then when it came to the moment of seeing the film I was like I'm really worried about it now because if they are in it what's gonna happen like are they going to mix well and will they feel like they're gonna just get made fun out of for like an hour or whatever they're in the film for um and I do think I do think they're in quite a few comedic scenes, but I don't think they're ever made fun out of, which I thought was a really good choice. And I feel like, especially with Toby and the way his films are kind of the opposite in some ways of what the MCU is. They're not very uh, self-joking or self-referential. They're more just really sincere and really quite bright worlds of just optimism and all that sort of stuff and very much comic booky rather than kind of modern day if that makes sense and I think I just felt like I was very thankful that Toby was never made fun out of and I think I think I've brought in a review that I, that the way that the characters are costumed and the way they, that they act in their first scene just made me feel really assured that what people were doing knew what they were doing and the fact that Andrew Garfield came in and he was in the full suit and just bubbling with like energy and just questions about science and magic and all that and to have him sort of you know be a part of this comedic scene but then to Toby to come in in his Parker sort of blue kind of just regular clothes and have him sort of just before even asking what's happening just being like apologize for just being there and just kind of saying sorry for being in the way and all that sort of stuff I just felt like that made sense and there's a lot of moments in the film where very kind of accurately I think Toby not uh, Andrew and Tom are very kind of jokey kind of having a lot of banter and then I think Toby every once in a while just comes in and gives a very sincere line of like for example like when he says to Andrew Garfield like you're amazing and accept that it is kind of a joke but it's it is something that Toby would say I think in that situation rather than come back with some sort of quippy line about something else um 
and yeah, I just love the way that we, they were used and they weren't used like as just to be there because it'll be really cool. Like they are, they are there first and foremost for Tom Holland's arc, and mm-hmm. I feel like that really sold me on them being in this movie and that scene where they're all discussing Uncle Ben and Gwen and Aunt May is uh, like a top tier like Spider-Man scene for me and literally quite incredible to watch and just yeah I think I think they were used insanely well and yeah I'm just very happy to say that because I was just very worried about that um but yeah Jay what did you think about this? (laughs) Um I was I mean, it came, you know, when they were opening the portal. I, I remember looking in cinema and, and immediately as soon as the portal opens, I was like, that's that's Andrew Garfield's suit. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure until he, of course, runs out of the portal and then I started flipping. And like you <laughs> were saying, I think it's, a, it, it's... When they entered to the point they leave, it's amazing because, yes, it's it's Tom Holland's film it's his arc and stuff and they're there to of course support it but in in a very small sense they also have their own arcs Mm. and it's great bringing andrew in because he's you know more predominantly known as the worst spider-man or his his films are always sort of laughed upon so to bring him in first this film's almost been like a redemption for his Spider-Man, like everyone now seems to love Andrew Garfield and his Spider-Man. And I know everyone's calling for a third Amazing Spider-Man film. So to bring him in first and give him that like few minutes of like airtime alone was was brilliant to really sort of go like, you know, he's been wrong to make fun of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always known as like, in quotations, like the better Spider-Man, while Tobey uh, Maguire was always, you know, the better Peter Parker. So it also then makes sense. He comes in dressed as Spider-Man and Tobey comes in dressed as Peter Parker, respectively, mm-hmm. the two areas where they, they shined at. Um, and with, you know, with Toby Spider-Man, you know, you hear that he's starting a family with his MJ. And, you know, he's obviously the older and more wiser Spider-Man and it shows in then his maturity to to look after and sort of care for the other two who were of course probably a lot more newer and younger in their experiences and he he mentions i think in that yeah it's in that scene you were saying when they all speak about uncle ben and he says like his biggest regret as spider-man is is killing the guy who he thought killed uncle ben because it it didn't do any good for him mm-hmm. uh, and at the end he stops tom holland from killing the goblin mm-hmm. so that's 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 his arc that's his redemption is he stopped this spider-man doing the same mistake he did just like andrew garfield saved mj he's helped tom so they both helped tom by correcting their own mistakes so it sort of gives them the redeeming arc for the two errors you know they've made as spider-man as well as sort of fuel and teach you know tom holland what it means to be spider-man Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very well put. Yeah, definitely. And I th- yeah, I totally agree that it could have been very easy to have them in this film and just give them very fun scenes, but not very meaningful scenes. And I'm very thankful that, for the most part, their entire presence is grounded by that scene with them on the the school roof with Tom. And I think that is that kind of that conversation is what the film is about in this one scene. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's just kind of brilliant and very thankful for it. And I think going from that, 
it kind of makes the moments that are a bit kind of like nudge and wink to the audience of like the meme of them pointing at each other and all that sort of stuff it yeah. makes that feel a bit more kind of earned because I didn't it would be very sad to have them show up and have them immediately do that pointing meme and it'd be funny but kind of like yeah like I just don't want to I didn't want to see them be made fun out of for the entire thing and referencing other things whilst they're there and for yeah. the most part that wasn't the case and yeah I, I totally agree with Andrew being there first and him having his entire like two minutes just to shine by himself in that scene and just mm. nail it from crawling on the roof and getting the cobwebs and all his little his li- I always just loved Andrew Garfield's in his, even in his own films like his little mannerisms as Peter Parker um mm. he brought us a lot of life to like anything that Peter Parker did physically and I think that still is true now and yeah it's insane that he's here and I think well how do we both how do everyone feel about the the Tobey Maguire fake out death because that almost killed me in the cinema <laughs> I had I mean yeah I had a bit of mixed reviews with that so I you know when the whole stabbing thing happened I shit myself and I was really <laughs> invested with oh my god are they going to kill Spider-Man but they've not really it, it's not his his film. If they did that in like a solo film, then I'd kind of understand. But because it's not really his film, it's Tom Holland's. It, it felt a little bit confusing to me. I was terrified that he was going to die. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. But then I feel like that. I kind of left with like a bit of a sour. Like, why? Why then do you need to include that? Because there was nothing that followed up from it. Hmm. So to me, that was one of the thing. That, that was one of the very little things in the film that didn't just it, it didn't feel like it needed to be in there like yes he saved it fantastic but then why does he need to be stabbed and we're having the death fake out thing if he's then just going to jump up and be like yeah i'm fine it's been lovely knowing you kid here's a hug goodbye <laughs> yeah. just like there was nothing that came from that mm-hmm. I suppose yeah. maybe it's that they needed to just basically get toby out of the way because essentially they can't really end it with just toby stopping Tom Spider-Man, like he has mm-hmm. to choose to not kill him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but, cure him with the like the whole goblin serum thing. Yeah, yeah like maybe they, they have to just do something to make sure that you know, he's rolling about. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I know what you mean. And I think, I think for me, the whole death fake out. I kind of, I was very confused. I think it was one of the few things out of the cinema that I was like, why, why do that? I don't really get it. Like I get getting him out of the way but it just it for the I think it really hurt me I think for that split second where it was like he's on the ground he's not getting up I'm not sure what's happening <laughs> um and Andrew Garfield goes over to him and like leans over him and I was like are they about to do like a, a death scene with Tony Maguire and then have him kind of have that I didn't I didn't really feel relieved until he stood up and was just hanging around and making jokes again because I was like okay they like, wouldn't do a death scene now I don't think if he was yeah there's no yeah i didn't trust it until he was standing up and yeah i just i didn't feel like it was necessary i feel like it was kind of just playing with our expectations a bit too much maybe i don't know it just felt a bit weird but it is you know it is very well i do think the humor get from that with all three spider-men hugging is incredible <laughs> and it's something i didn't even know i wanted to see but seeing them hug each other in like a this like this is big group hug is I, I think that'll be iconic forever now <laughs> um mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But I, I saw, saw a fan-made poster of that, and I was like, oh, that would be really cool. Like, a few days before the film was released, I was like, oh, that's a really sweet thing. And then they did it in the film, I was like, whoa, this is <laughs> a really good poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... Um... Yeah, I just needed to see that, and I think, I think you know, I think um, going from that, having kind of Andrew and Toby have just, I I think it's quite nice as well that we didn't just have to have Tom, Andrew, and Toby together. We got quite a few moments where it was just Andrew and Toby, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I was expect, I didn't expect to see because I think it was going to be, I thought it was only going to be around Tom that the film was going to center around, and I think having them two just have little scenes where it was just them to react to each other's existence <laughs> um was just very nice and very it's very fun as well and i think how do we all feel about the kind of the the scene where before the final battle they kind of have this back and forth for a good like four minutes about the villains and stuff like that <laughs> I, I thought it was very well handled because mm-hmm. you know when you think about it i suppose with only having really two proper villains andrew is at a disadvantage mm-hmm Although, yeah. if you think, think of all the villains that he'd probably face in the meantime between between seeing him at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2 and this, because he clearly, he's clearly older. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting just to, to think who else he might have faced, because he cl- clearly hasn't faced any of the ones that Toby has. Mm-hmm. Well, other than the Green Goblin, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a really fun scene. Um for for a minute, when when Toby said, oh, "I fought an alien," obviously referencing Venom. Yeah. For a minute there, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like I forgot that Venom was an alien, so I was like, "Hang on a minute." <laughs> alien. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But mm. it, it also, it reminded me of you know, you know, all the fan art prior to this film of the three Spider Men. Most mm. of them like made Toby look really old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like, it gave him like white hair and a white beard. So that, mm. that the back cracking scene <laughs> was kind of amusing from that standpoint of the fact that everybody imagined him to be so old and here he is cracking his back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I thought that was I thought that would have been a nice little reference callback to um to when he first I think it's in the first film or I think it might be in the second when he loses his power. But of course, he falls on the on the on the car in one of the films. Yeah. One of the films. And obviously hurts his back, so I thought that was just a nice little reference to mm-hmm. one of his films. Yeah. Obviously, as well as saying, you know, he is an older Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, oh, didn't Toby injure himself? Yeah, I think um... he injured himself during uh, during filming, so I think they almost had to uh, to recast him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. Which would have been so weird if Spider-Man Two had like someone else in the role. Jake Gyllenhaal. Now that would be. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was meant to be him. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was also nice as well that Tori Maguire was kind of given the role from Into the Spider versus like the first original, the one that we first meet in that film, the Chris Pine one, um, the blonde, blue eye uh, Peter Parker, who is in some ways kind of like the perfect Peter Parker in the sense that he's solved all of the work life balance sort of thing mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And I think. I think it was nice having him there. Not as that perfect. There's clearly some issues with him and his life. Like you said, you said with MJ, it's, it's complicated, but they make it work. Um, and I think that's just a very lovely moment. And I think it was, for me, very cathartic to see, because Spider-Man 3 is such a, a cliffhanger ending. 
of will Peter and MJ ever work it out after all of this Spider-Man 3 stuff? <laughs> and I was, I think we've all had that question for like 14 years now. And it has him just kind of briefly be like, we work it out. It's complicated, but we work it out. And I think that's very just cathartic for me. And I think having him there as some sort of mentor uh, was very nice to see. And I think it was, I think that's why I was so worried in the de- like the fake out death scene that he's going to get killed because that is what happened to Chris Pine's Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse film. <laughs> he was killed off and because he's the two used to perfectly Peter Parker for the entire film. So yeah, but I was happy that he hasn't been killed off and he has got a MJ to go back to, which is really just lovely. <laughs> mm, and he, I mean, he did in that scene where it was just Toby and Andrew, he did of course talk to Andrew about like, if you never like about when he's like oh if you never try looking for anyone else and he was like giving him a bit of hope to to love again and i feel like that was you know a nice interaction between the two of them um not you know i i expected i can't i expected them two to be in it but i just expected them to come up and like i thought dr strange was going to be in this film a lot more than he was which i'm glad that he wasn't i'm glad it wasn't just another like tom holland uh, mentor type thing mm-hmm. Um, so I thought like oh it'd be like Doctor Strange in the final battle opens the portal and them two fr- fly out and start defeating the villain and then that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad they did have that. They just sort of walked in and they're going to help his friends and go and help him, and then they have them nice moments together of being like science bros. So <laughs> I thought um, lovely that it wasn't just the three Spider Man being three Spider Man, but it was also just you know Peter talking to another Peter. Mm-hmm. But like not all three of them, like just two of them having some nice moments with each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think, yeah, I think with that sort of the film, for, I think for Tom especially, I think it feels like it's finally his film, <clears throat> which is really odd to say when it's got Toby and Andrew and Doctor Strange in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think what this film does better for me to the previous two is that I feel like Peter actually has a, a growth in this film, like he actually grows from beginning and end, um, which I, especially in Far From Home, I struggle to see. I honestly just see the character as very loyal to Tony Stark and that sort of idea of what he was and just continues to b- protect that idea of Tony Stark. And I think with this third film, removing the majority of Tony Stark stuff and just having him be in the MCU with Doctor Strange, who doesn't, he looks up to Doctor Strange, but he doesn't like idolize him the same way. And I think. It was very smart and very impressive to finally have a scene where Peter disagrees disagrees with uh, another hero because he just disagrees with, like, with their moral kind of ideology over what we should do with the villains, um, which was yeah. a very nice kind of turning point to see to, to see Tom uh, to see Tom Holland finally have an opinion that was against the grain and kind of stick with it um, mm. and kind of continue doing that. And even later on in the film with Toby and Andrew there. It would be very easy to be like, well, Toby and Andrew are older and more experienced, so let's just, let's give them the mentor role. And really, whilst I do do that for a bit with his kind of emotional getting through the death of Aunt May, um, I like the idea that they don't know how to work as a team, and Tom does. So him being the leader does make a lot of sense. And having him finally be in his own film, and he's leading the other two Peter Parkers before him, and it just feels like he's finally grown up a bit. And it's just nice to see yeah. that finally. Um, and I do kind of like the idea that it's been talked about for a lot since the film came out, that 
we can now look at the home the homecoming whatever trilogy as one big origin story for this version of Peter Parker. Um mm-hmm. that finally <clears throat> ends on the classic kind of death of a parental figure and then growing through that darkness to become a Spider Man. Um which is yeah, I just kind of like that idea that it took this much time, but you know, it paid off in the end. Um and it was yeah, it's lovely to see. And yeah. Do you think that Tom still remained at the centre of this film throughout the entire thing, or do you think he kind of got lost in the shuffle? No, I don't think so. I think um, this was really much about him, like the way they handled the villains was fantastic. Uh, obviously, you know, some of them dip out at times. Uh, of course, the two Spider-Men, you know, come in, but it's still very focused on on Tom in this universe and his world. And like you were saying about the, the Homecoming trilogy, you know, when you look at the three films, it's you know, Tom's a young, excited kid just wanting to join the Avengers. And then in like the second film, he's starting to learn like a bit more about the responsibilities of being like an Avenger and a team player. And then in this third film, it's a classic Spider-Man. He's learning the the sacrifice you make as a hero and and to do good no matter like what happens. Um, and then especially with how the film ends, like you say, like, you know, Peter goes in, into a little apartment, has to pay rent, he dons the classic costume, and no one now knows him. So instead of the MCU where he was just like, yeah, I'm Peter Parker, I'm Spider-Man, to like everyone, he's mm. completely alone. And I think that's fantastic now to reset Spider-Man in like a very organic way mm. and, and do a true like the fourth film, do a true Spider-Man film, just like no one obviously knows who he is, he doesn't rely on Stark tech, you know, he's not Iron Boy Iron Boy Jr., he's, you know, not getting looked after by Nick Fury or, or Doctor Strange, like he is now on his own, making his own kit and kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think this film, it doesn't ever lose him, and I think the ending in particular really saved the film for me, I think. And it was never, you know, I never thought, I never had a negative opinion on the film, but I just thought the film ends on kind of a regressive sort of thing where everything's fine again and don't worry, it's going to be fine. It would kind of feel like a bit of a letdown for me. And the fact that this <clears> ending <throat> is so the opposite of a reset ending, it's kind of a everything went bad. He's got to make a hard choice. He's going to make that choice and it's going to have massive like reboot level consequences going forward um really satisfied me and i think matthew was saying before that this might have one of the best comic book endings of all time i kind of agree with you and i think do you want to talk a bit about why you love the ending so much yeah so i think as well sort of one thing i saw someone say on on instagram was that this film sort of sort of takes i mean it's not mcu has managed they've never really been based on a particular comic you know, there's been a few that have been sort of inspired by more than others, like Civil War, for example, or even Iron Man 2 is based on a, loosely based on a specific run. Mm-hmm. This, people were saying beforehand, this is kind of based on what, what was a very unpopular comic. <laughs> yeah. The one day more storyline. Yeah. The fact they've managed to turn that into arguably one of the strongest Spider-Man films. 
especially with the ending. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a particularly strong ending from the fact that it completes the trilogy in terms of this definitely being an origin for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it actually, and this is coming from someone who does actually quite like or really like the Nancy Spider-Man films so far, it does retroactively improve them. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I'll admit there are there are problems with them. It doesn't erase those problems, but it helps set them in a bit more context for where you know where Peter's ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the strongest things coming from this ending is that nobody prompts Peter to make the decision that he makes. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah. Doctor Strange is struggling to keep the realities together, and he just straight up says, "Make everyone forget me." Mm-hmm. The, prompt or anything like that it is his decision it's a moment of that that is peter parker slash spider-man through and through mm-hmm. and yeah. just that ending of seeing, seeing him enter that sort of rundown apartment uh having literally no one he sees happy happy doesn't remember him um and having to make a costume and swing off it's just it's the perfect final scene and as well the scene in the coffee shop beforehand I think it's fairly, I don't, I don't want to say predictable, but you can tell where it's going to go as soon as they mention MIT. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless, it's a very impressive, that, that is, while, while the final scene is definitely a moment of, ah, oh, he's finally Spider-Man, I think the scene in the coffee shop is definitely the scene where you can say, that's the peak of the arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's not only made the decision of erasing everyone, he's sort of deciding to stick to that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that second decision, while it's probably smaller, that is the ultimate point of when he becomes Spider-Man as we, we, we hold the ideal of Spider-Man to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's kind of, you know, I, I don't know if, if for people who maybe aren't more ca- or more casual viewers of the MCU and Spider-Man, they might see that ending as really quite depressing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and as well, there, there was one. It was a letterbox review, that gave the film five stars, and just said, um, "I enjoy seeing Tom Holland Spider Man suffer." <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I thought, is that you, Henry? Um, <laughs> I think it's both of us, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's sort of that moment of yeah, the realization of this definitely. It's the end of this this trilogy, and it's probably the end of these these characters. Like I can see, them maybe going down the route of saying that that's it for MJ and Ned. Yeah, maybe. Because I think, as as I said on the uh, mention we did the episode before it coming out, Zendaya is in a position where maybe she's outgrown the role she's in the MCU. Mm, yeah. Unless they really do something. Zendaya's the actress now, isn't she? Yeah. Mm. And so I, I can definitely see them having it as more of a, a solid breaking point from that, like breaking away from those characters and really launching into something new and something that that could be maybe darker, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're definitely, or more than definitely, but we're, we're more likely than not going to move away from the tone, as much as we can in an MCU film, but move away from the tone of these things with there being a new director who we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's actually been confirmed, but I think everyone's been led to believe that because John Watts is doing Fantastic Four, that he won't be doing the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not a fact. 
Um, John Watts is the first MCU director to complete a trilogy. Yeah, that's crazy, yeah. Yeah, I did read that as well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I do, you know, I want to make sure that I really want to praise John Watts for this because in my eyes, he has really delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's from someone who, not to say I told you so, but I was sticking up for him beforehand. Um, but yeah it's 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 just a perfect ending of encapsulating everything that spider-man stands for brilliant at finishing off this trilogy but also brilliant in setting up a really interesting future where as i mentioned to you in um in messages of the days after i saw it it feels like he's really set up to be the main player of this universe now Mm, yeah maybe until now he's been a case of He's he's been a character in the MCU and he's had to conform to the rules, like a universe that was built around Tony Stark and Steve Rogers and Thor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now with them gone and with the ending to this film sort of blowing things, not necessarily resetting things, but determining a new sort of playing field. I definitely think that he's being set up, especially if we are going to get nine films of him, mm-hmm. <laughs> set up as the main player which is ultimately it is what spider-man deserves to be yeah definitely yeah he's that yeah, like biggest property and like mm. i mean when you look at everything sony's doing with the venom films the spider-verse films the rumors of of continuing andrew garfield's universe mm. uh with like the likes of morbius and stuff um you know spider-man is clearly the biggest character for this generation's superhero cinema phase, yeah. like whether it's DC or, or Marvel or whatever, Spider-Man is the top list above Iron Man, Batman, Superman, all of them. So it mm-hmm. makes sense to, to just throw all the... Because they've got opportunities now to do so much and so many different things with the character um, to do it. And like, because like you said, like it could easily be fixed by like, Tom Holland's Spider-Man just goes up to Doctor Strange like, in the next day because he knows where the Sanctum is and goes, oh, look, this is what happened. I made you wipe the entire memory of the entire universe. And Doctor Strange, with all of his knowledge and magic, would be like, oh, yeah, cool. I believe that. <laughs> and then like, we just sort of continue MCU Spider-Man as he's sort of been before. And he's just like, all right, cool. I'm back in the gang. But this time he's like, no, nah, I'm not going to go to Doctor Strange and do that. It could be mm. really easily fixed by something like that because obviously with Thanos and everything, they'd probably believe him. If he just goes, oh, uh, I broke the uh, broke the universe and and uh, made us all forget us so I could fix it, and they'll be like, all right, cool, come. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things as well that the fact that I th- I think they still they people still remember Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, so they know Spider Man. It's just no one knows of Peter Parker's existence. Yeah. Mm. So does yeah. Doctor Strange remember fighting Thanos with Spider Man? I think yeah, I think. I think what the idea is, is literally just... Master, I think. Yeah, I think the idea is that whenever they try to think Peter Parker, they just can't think of him. <laughs> so I think when they, when everyone remembers Infinity War or whatever, it's going to be like, in their memory, it's just a guy in a suit that yeah. maybe talked, but like, we don't know who Peter <laughs> Parker is. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what how they're going to explain that going forward but yeah it's a very weird one yeah to be fair actually speaking of the whole mask on situation i, I liked that in the sense of because um 
you know, when you saw all the leaked pictures, it was like, oh, well, well, Toby and Andrew's suits are all, like, without the mask and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I worried of, like, how much... Uh, I, I was worried about how much they'd have the mask off, but it makes sense in the story of, you know, you're getting these two big icons of, obviously, the Spider-Man franchise and stuff. You'd want to have the masks off, because if you're paying for these actors, you don't just want it to be, like, the Sandman and the Lizard situation, where it's just stock footage and CGI and in the voiceover you want to obviously see them i think they did a really good balance of putting the mask on for like some of the battles and the big swinging scenes mm-hmm. but then having like moments where they were just in the uniforms with the mask off and talking mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah i think the film kind of handles that very well and i think i was kind of put off in the opening hour i guess seeing peter parker just walk around in a Spider-Man suit with his mask off and not really worrying about it because I just wasn't used to it. It was very weird. Oh. Um, yeah, and I think I just I think for the first hour of this film to be like a slight negative, I think for the first hour I was very worried because I was enjoying the film, but I was kind of worried that the film was never going to have sort of a a moment where it decided to kind of really try and grow this Peter Parker. And I think mm-hmm. I think the ending because I did get a sense to rewatch it, so I have seen it twice, and I think. I just wanted to do that because I didn't want to. I want to have like a solidified opinion before I write a review or do a podcast. Because like, I really enjoyed Homecoming when I first watched it, but on rewatches, I kind of enjoy it less and less because it far from home, I guess, because of how it reminds me of that film and how much I don't like that film. And I wanted to be sure that I did like this film as its own film. And looking back on it, I am very much uh, happy that the ending is how the ending is because. But my first watch in the first hour when the uh, whole MIT entrance sort of thing kind of gets solved by him defeating Doc Ock and helping the woman, I kind of felt a bit let down by that because I was hoping that the entire film was going to have that sort of extra level of just consequence for Peter Parker. And I was very worried that was kind of just going to get ignored post the first act. And I just loved that at the end it comes back in a really strong way where it sees Ned and MJ again at MIT and they're all very happy and you know they have no idea who Peter Parker is but they're very happy and mm. they're getting through with their lives and to have him look at them and be like is it worth it to put myself in their lives again and put them under that risk of they might be unhappy again because of me and it all pays off really well at the end I mm. think because um, that first hour was Maybe the first 40 minutes for me was a bit worrying, but I enjoyed it. But I was just hoping at some point the film would get a bit more dramatic and have a bit more power to what it was saying. And I think I think that moment kind of leads into the next kind of like area of the film, which is the death of Aunt May, mm-hmm. which is the moment, or at least I think before that moment, maybe the Green Goblin kind of returning with his film before performance um, is maybe that's the more dramatic turn in the movie. But I think that sort of back-to-back scenes of Goblin and then Aunt May dying is the midpoint of the film and it completely changes the film looking back on it. And yeah, yeah. do you you want to talk about just <laughs> what your reaction was to that scene? Um, I thought I, I thought that was was brilliant, especially with the whole um, <clears throat> the whole Doc Ock situation by fixing him first because we were all worried i know all of us were worried that they'd ruin doc ock and just make him a, a villain again mm-hmm. i love that they fix doc ock and you know he comes back later on and saves the three of them 
Um, so it was great to see that. All right, we've fixed Doc Ock, so now he's had his bad guy, good guy, and he can get his redemption. Uh, so you know we don't ruin the the feel of Spider-Man Two and that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know trying to fix the other ones, and then just dropping out last minute when the Goblin changed. I thought that entire scene with the Spider Sense. And everyone's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you looking at me from like Electro and stuff? And then the Goblin changes mm-hmm. was brilliant because it really <clears throat> set it up to, to, for the final where it's like, well, it's going to be against the Green Goblin. And the rest of them obviously have now went, we're dipping. But it's mm-hmm. spread them, you know, it separated them and, and, and spread them out a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that when that scene happens, it's, you can feel it, the cha- the movie changing in that moment, because um, the whole experience when the villains get introduced is very kind of, it is quite lighthearted, even though they are villains. It is quite, the film does treat them as just people for the most part. Um, and I think from that moment on, when Goblin kind of returns and you see him, the wonderful performance was, I didn't think I would say it, but. I kind of think he does a better job here than in the first film, and I still love his performance in the first yeah. film. I, I think I agree. Mm, it's it's a weird thing to say, because I never thought I would ever say that, but yeah, he kills it in this film, and I think the way that he's used is almost like, I don't know, I it could, it does in some ways remind me of the Joker, in the sense that it just feels like, it feels like a villain that's there to just push the hero to his limits, yeah. and that is what he does from the get-go when he's finally the Goblin again, and it's sad to see as well because I think the way he's handled before that is quite endearing in a weird way because in the original film he was never likable even as Norman he was kind of just always a businessman looking for power mm-hmm. and to see him being in this film he saw out of his depth to be a kind of essentially a homeless person looking for help from Aunt May um, was really quite touching and endearing and weirdly heartwarming <laughs> and to have like little scenes, little moments where he's helping Peter Parker make uh, all these uh, cures for everyone, and he's like, "If you ever want a job at Oscorp and you're willing to travel a universe, you have a you have one to come to." And that was like, it's a little moment where it's like, "Oh, you, as Norman, you can be a nice person." I forget that you are as a normal guy, your dad in the Raimi films, and to see Goblin take over is so like insane to see, <laughs> and. He just, yeah, he kills the performance here, and I think... Yeah, there's a lot more, like, flips between, like, him going from Norman to the Goblin. Like, in the first film, we just say, like, oh, there's some scenes of the Goblin, and then, like, a few scenes later, we just see him as Norman, but, like, there's a lot of flipping where we see, like, on screen, he'll go from being Norman and very, you know, like, oh, you should flip over to my universe, and you've got a job, and then he just, like, changes, and he's the Goblin again, and it's incredible seeing that that happen in an actor mm-hmm. yeah i think one thing is that um again while i love the first spider-man film i feel like he'd helped a lot by not having to wear a helmet <laughs> yeah well actually being able to see his face like i know there was the still release before the film of it actually in the scene where he kills that may yeah you're on the glider and he looks a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah the way in which it was frozen but actually in the film it's like yeah that's the green goblin mm-hmm I think, yeah, I always thought it was kind of a shame that in the first film his face is covered up because it sounds a bit mean, but his natural evil face is very goblin-like. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I, yeah, it was just nice to see that. That's what I was about. Yeah, it's what I was saying in the Spider-Man mask. It's like if you're gonna get these villains back and you're gonna get these actors back, you're gonna mm-hmm. want to be like, here's a face. You know, Electro is mm-hmm. no blue. He's an actual person. The only two issues with was I know Lizard and Sandman had to stay as Lizard and in his sand form because mm-hmm. restrictions they couldn't fly over and and film some stuff with them, which is you know perfectly understandable. But at least they've lent the voices. Yeah, yeah, and I think to kind of talk about a flaw I have with the movie, I think there doesn't need to be this many villains. I think. In terms of like a threat to Peter Parker, I think it makes sense to be this many because he hasn't really had that many villains before. But I think I just there was a few moments where they're all in their kind of prison cell, the magic kind of underground thing, and I'm just kind of wondering why is the lizard in this film? And yeah. with the like, if he's if he got cut out, I don't think anyone would notice, and I think it would just be fine. Um, I don't. I don't think I think about that is I think it'd be a shame if that Andrew would, wouldn't get to interact with him again. But even then, the interaction is mostly him and in, in, as a lizard. And then when it becomes the actual actor, it's reused footage from the previous film. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know, I just feel like the film would be fine without them and Doc Hock and Green Goblin and maybe Electro. Like, I think that would have been just a, a fine kind of trio of villains. Um, but yeah I, yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. I feel like there are some scenes in the first hour where I feel the homecoming, far from home vibe, a bit too much. Mm-hmm. And I never really wanted to see a character like Sandman be made fun out of and kind of sit down on the couch and ruin the couch of sand. Even though it is kind of funny, I just kind of always, I always think back to, you know, in Spider-Man 3, with having his entire, his rebuilding of his own body, be just an emotional moment. And every time he's on screen, it's kind of like a, a very human character for for the most part. And it's kind of a shame that some of them kind of get made fun out of for quite a bit. And yeah, I, I really enjoy Doc Ock and Goblin, and especially the Goblin. Um, but yeah, I have uh, very mixed feelings on the Lizard and uh, Sandman. Um, yeah. Would anyone agree with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think I understand why they decided to put Lizard in because... Well, Lizard and Electro because... At the end of the day, you kind of need them for Andrew because otherwise Andrew's just here fighting other people's villains. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I see what I mean, particularly with, with Lizard. Because, well, when you first see Lizard, I remember thinking that he looks a bit wonky. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm glad Jamie Foxx got a second go at Electro. Mm-hmm. Um, and was able to actually be it felt like he actually had a bit more say in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he clearly seemed to be enjoying it more. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of, I'm glad he got the second shot. Um, but yeah, uh, Sandman is also... like We, we did our ranking of the uh, Spider-Man villains, and we both put Sandman in third. And for me as well, I love Sandman as a villain. He's one of my favourite comic book villains ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm initially I'm glad that like we thought from the trailer, he was defending Spider-Man at the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that notion. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, and I think him in himself. I think like the role he plays and what he says makes a lot of sense, and I, and you know, fair enough, it's, it's solid. But I think the fact was that it's just a lump of sand. 
<laughs> yeah. I want to see Hayden, Christ- Hayden, Hayden Church's face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, but speaking of villains, I have to say one thing that I was a little bit worried about is that once again, these villains aren't Tom's villains. <laughs> it's kind of a critique that people have of the previous two MCU Spider-Man films, and that they're not his villains. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're made by other people, namely Tony Stark. But um, and so like one of the concerns I maybe had going into this one was these aren't specifically Tom's villains. So I was wondering how would that work in terms of there being like an emotional stake? And because of Green Goblin, because of that performance, he really does feel like Tom's villain. Yeah, yeah. Like he's not just a borrowed villain from one of the previous films. He's the main villain, and he feels like an antagonistic force that just hates Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not any other character, not Tony Stark, not any of the other two Spider Man. He's just there to be an be a, a nightmare to Tom. <laughs> yeah. And as such, it, it really works. Tom has that because of the Aunt May death. Tom has that hatred towards him. Mm-hmm. To me, you know, it comes back to the fact that that Aunt May death is it's a linchpin for everything. It holds mm-hmm. it together in that final act. Yeah. Uh, it's the reason for the emotional stakes, for the emotional journey as well with Peter. And 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 like you were saying before, sort of the first hour. I I mean personally, I really enjoyed the first hour with it just being Peter Parker, mm-hmm. in the face of his identity being revealed. Um, and, and and there's there's another aspect to that which I'm sure we'll get to later, a certain cameo. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that, like you, I was maybe a little bit conscious of, well, you just fix the MIT thing. Yeah, It'd be, maybe we're slipping a bit with with the whole sort of the strength of the, of, of the story, uh, but then we we hit that scene where Aunt May is with Green Goblin and Norman gone to the shelter, mm-hmm. and you have that moment where uh, Aunt May takes Peter to the side and says, "No, this isn't someone else's problem. This is yours." Mm-hmm. That was kind of the moment where it's like, okay, mm. I see, I see what's what's going on here. Yeah, and it was a real moment of we're, we're going to see. Not only are we are we going to see this Aunt May used perfectly, mm-hmm. but it's the real start of, like you said, a real changing arc and one that really makes sense for the whole trilogy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think as well of the way that Aunt May is used is. I mean, I think this whole film doesn't fix my previous issues with the character in the MCU, but I think it definitely lends a better lens on it i guess because it's i look at me now in this in this uh, trilogy and i don't see her as kind of not well utilized anymore i kind of see her more as like she is kind of uncle ben in these films and i think when i think about uncle ben if he was still alive and spider-man did happen i think he would support spider-man i think that would be the uncle ben kind of role i think he would say to Peter, i get it you should probably keep on doing this but just be safe and i think having Aunt May be that role now and being her, having her be supportive in the last film, it I do like that idea more now that I've seen where it goes with it. Yeah. Um, even though I think it's still a weird fit. I, I still think it's weird that the homecoming ends on a, a big reveal and then doesn't really source what happened. Yeah. Kind of just jump, jumps past it, <laughs> I guess. But I still like the idea more now with that lens. I say with Happy Organ being in, in these films, I think... Far From Home had this weird 
background love affair with Aunt May and Happy Hogan that I just didn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. And again, this film adds a bit of kind of a, a more dramatic lens to it. And I think having their first scene kind of be their breakup scene, and then from that to them living with Happy, and then the 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 graveyard uh, sort of scene where they see each other but they don't know each other, but they're both connected by this. Well, two deaths, the two massive deaths in the world, um, but they don't know each other. So it's really painful to see now. And it's, yeah, I'd have, I wish it was, you know, better done in Far From Home and Homecoming, but I'm so happy that it eventually got here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think, Jay, that these films have been made a bit better by this third film? I think so. I think that the, with, with this third film and how it's really brought together and, you sort of look at the Homecoming trilogy as the full origin story. I think they've sort of realised... I mean, when they brought Spider-Man in, obviously it was a very last-minute thing in Civil War, so they couldn't do a Spider-Man... When they got the rights to Spider-Man, they couldn't just do a Spider-Man film. They just threw him straight in Civil War and was like, right, cool, we'll get him in there. Mm -hmm. Um, So then they had to work on that, which kind of put them on a bit of a back foot. But I think because we've had two Spider-Man... Uh, two different actors playing them, uh, you know, first trilogy and the duology. I think they went, well, you know, everyone knows the origin of Spider-Man. Everyone knows what Spider-Man is, so we need to do something different. So I think over these three independent films, they've they've told that origin story to us, but in a more fleshed out way. So in Spider-Man, obviously, you know, we see Uncle Ben for maybe like, what, 20 minutes of screen time and then he dies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. seen Aunt May now for three different films and multiple probably shots in, in other films. So we've built then this this character up, this rapport. We've seen her interact with Peter. And now the death hits a lot more for us as much as we can see that it hits Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think just having it sort of span out three three films, knowing that we obviously know the origin of, of, of Spider-Man, but still giving him that origin. Um, just in a slightly more long and twisted way, is it, it, it works um, and it brings it sort of all together. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's kind of a small miracle that I like Far From Home a bit more now than I used to. Um, yeah. And I think I think with Aunt May as well, I think it's kind of weird looking back on her actions. Less is kind of a comedic, flat character as I used to look at her, but kind of more as a happy-go-lucky moral centre for Peter Parker to follow because um, he's always even at like the lowest moments of homecoming or from home he's still quite happy and helpful to Peter and always trying to look after everyone as he uh, uh, runs the whole the feast operation the whole homeless shelter thing um, which is a really good idea I like the way that's used and I think having her literally kind of be an external voice of Peter here even though he knows it's true in himself, he has to hear it from someone else that, you know for a fact that it is your duty to help these people, even though it's not, you know, from your universe, it is still your issue because they're here now looking for help. Um, and have her there to say that and then for her to die because of, to, ha- to have her die because of her own choice to help them. Um, and still, even though she's about to die to say it was still the right choice to make, mm-hmm. is really powerful and really it really makes you think more than anything else about Peter Parker now, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, that he really believes now that he's got to make these choices, even though they are going to be hard choices. 
and that's kind of a miracle i think because i think the previous movies kind of whether they have felt scared about doing uncle ben because we've seen it so many times before um mm-hmm. or whatever i kind of feel like they kind of lost that center to the character and now to have it here in the third film be so powerful i think that kind of and shocking as well because i think no one expects Aunt May to die and to have that scene be a, an Aunt May mm-hmm. scene instead of Uncle Ben scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that just, it's very shocking, but also very, it makes sense as well, even though it's shocking. Um, so yeah, I just, yeah, I love that scene. I think it's, I think we've all been saying this, but I think it's, you know, it's the middle, it's the whole point in the film was that one scene. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think that's kind of really cool. <laughs> and. It's really quite nice. Um, it, it also just feels right with her saying the, the great power line. Yeah, and it feels like it's been so lost yeah. that someone's actually said that line. <laughs> it's not actually said in The Amazing Spider-Man either. No, they kind of... No. It's like a really long, drawn-out equivalent. It's a paraphrase that's very long. <laughs> it's. Um, I find it really funny as well when um, Uncle Ben... Well, when uh, Peter, uh, Tom... Toby and Andrew are talking on the rooftop and he starts lying uh, with great power and Toby goes oh with great responsibility and it looks at Andrew and I was like is Andrew going to go is Andrew going to finish off like the big longer version that Uncle Ben said in the first <laughs> film that he had because <laughs> it doesn't fit well and it doesn't <laughs> yeah it just doesn't roll the tongue it's not a very yeah it doesn't it's just a very long way of saying the same thing but in this film it's in this film, it's more about Gwen for him, which makes sense, I think, um, than Uncle Ben, which, you know, it, yeah, I think that, that totally makes sense for that character as a more recent event in his life. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I think it was very well handled, and I don't really know where to go from here, because I don't know, like, what other big points are to talk about, I guess. Um, what I, I want to know something. What did you feel about? Obviously, there's two post-credit scenes. There's one trailer for Doctor Strange. We'll ignore that. What do you think of the, the Venom uh, post-credit scene? I I find it hilarious that he was in the MCU for a grand total of two post-credit scenes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, that's, that's the one thing I I was rubbed off. Uh, with what do you think Henry? Uh, I, mm, I don't know I think cause I quite I quite in a very weird way enjoy the Venom films especially the second one for being quite just a bit goofy and a bit weird and kind of like the weird middle child that everyone's kind of ignoring that existence in the Marvel Universe yeah. um, so I really enjoyed that his scene in the MCU was just him asking questions in a very Tom Hardy Venom way Mm. and to have Venom still be portrayed as kind of goofy when he's like we are drunk let's go skiing to thing like I think that that just makes sense what those films are that he would still be like that mm. but and whilst I would like to see Tom Hardy more so in that universe I think I think it is kind of I do think I'm not surprised I guess by them saying Tom Hardy was here now he's gone but a symbiote is here so we can take that and then use it and explain it as an interdimensional thing that came from somewhere. Um, yeah, I think it. I think it makes sense that they did that. Um, yeah, I, mm, it's become. I don't know. I kind of want to see more from Hardy, but I don't know if he fits well into this universe. Yeah, I so. think over over the past sort of few years, I'm not going to deny that I have. I have been quite against the incorporation of 
burning to the MCU. <laughs> I have mellowed recently uh, because, like you said, at the very least, I have enjoyed those Venom films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be honest, a little part of me was relieved that they took him straight out again. <laughs> mm. um, Jay, what did you think? Did you were you hopeful for more Tom Hardy? <laughs> um, I just I I, I can I, I don't know. I feel like they they didn't need to do it's it's two post credit scenes. I can't. But they brought him into like a post credit scene, and I was just like, oh wow. So is he gonna be the sixth villain to make this like sin- sinister six type thing? I thought mm-hmm. maybe obviously not on him beginning. You know, focus on 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 the Goblin and. And Doc Ock and, and the other big villains who are obviously are linked to the other Spider-Man. But I thought there might be like a scene in the final battle where maybe he he came into it and a bit of the the you know symbiote gets cut off and, and stays around. I just thought another post credit scene where <laughs> where he's in in mourning and then gets immediately taken back out. I don't know. I feel like if they were just gonna do that, don't do it at all. <laughs> I just, I feel like as a as it is a. It just didn't need to be. It added nothing to the overall story. From a mm-hmm. post-credit scene, I expected to link somewhat into then one of the future films. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But with it literally just being, oh, we're in, oh, we're out. But we've mm-hmm. left something behind. I just felt like, why do that? Why can't you just say Venom is existing in this universe where everything else exists? It mm. wouldn't have been the. Because of course, Toby mentions, oh, I've fought a black alien once made of goo. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard to believe that you know when Tom finally comes across a symbiote, he's like, "Oh my God, this is what the other Toby was saying, or the other Spider-Man was saying." Hmm. It was just like, "If you're gonna have, I, I, yeah, I just got really knocked." <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're gonna have Spider-Man cameo in Venom, and then a Venom cameo in Spider-Man, hmm. what the hell are you? Gonna, I understand the whole Tom Hardy will probably be in the Sony Spider-Man universe. Um, and MCU will get the one, but I, I don't know. I just felt like they could have definitely done that a better way. And for some reason, that just really annoyed me. I can, uh, I can, I can see them saying that Venom is in. Like, I can see them saying that the Venom films are set in Andrew's universe. Yeah. Hmm. Um, because obviously they're saying that they they're wanting to bring him back. Yeah. Or at least there are rumours that he might be coming back. I think it makes sense. Also, hmm. this is this is a question. How did he even end up in the MCU in the first place? Because he doesn't know Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Um, because of how Venom knows him. So when he gets transported in the post-credit scene, the Venom symbiotes, of course, have a hive mind. So it's Venom who knows Spider-Man. Ah, makes sense. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wait. if if you no, know, if it comes out that Sony do have Tom Hardy's Venom and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, it's not hard to disbelieve that that Tom Hardy knows Peter Parker. I know that in the films they're in two separate cities, which is why they haven't bumped into each other, but it's not you know, out of the question to say they don't already know each other. But it's mainly because of the, the symbiote hive mind that Venom got dragged in. Yeah, mm. that's fair. When, it, when the portal happens, he turns into Venom, so it's Venom that's getting dragged, but of course Venom needs a host. Mm. Yeah. Great. Yeah, but... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that leads into my Kind of another question I have is why is Electro here? Because he doesn't know who Peter Parker is. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that as well. Because he sees Andrew Garfield and he goes, Oh, I thought you were black. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that's kind of a nice, like, Miles Morales thing. But then I thought to myself, Oh, yeah, you never actually knew who he was. So why are you here? 
Maybe maybe he knew his name was Peter Parker because doesn't he make an, an agreement with um thingy the th- that Green Goblin? Maybe yeah. But maybe maybe the Green Goblin said, "Oh, we need to kill Peter Parker," but mm. obviously Electro hasn't gone and googled him, so he doesn't actually know what he looks like. <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah. That's just yeah, it's just a weird one. I, I thought they would explain it, and I thought it would be like another. Yeah, sorry. I, I thought maybe he was going to be the one villain that wasn't actually from the universe that we know. Because yeah. he, look, he looks so different and all that. But yeah, just kind of weird that they mention why they're here. He even has a scene dedicated to him not knowing who Peter is. And then, but it's never answered why he's here to begin with. So yeah, I don't know. Confused. Oh, another little thing that, that, that made me question. When Green Goblin appears on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Otto, well, Doc Ock says Norman Osborn. Mm. But mm-hmm. nobody knows in those films that Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin. Um, I don't think. Um, well, I think th- there was two things I read about that. I think there w- it was either you could suggest that Doc Ock was funded by Oscorp, yeah. So it's not hard to believe that Oz, that Doc Ock also helped with the gliders and some of the other military things. So upon seeing the glider, he was like, "Hang on a minute, that's that's Otto's design." Yeah, I, or like, it's not like a laugh game. is very. It's it's not like a a, a game changer for me. Um, this this kind of like I suppose some people might call it a plot hole. This kind of thing never bothers me. It's not something that takes away from my enjoyment. Like my logic was always, he probably just figured it out. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, it's a good point as well because I think I was going to say Green Goblin probably became famous for you know being the Green Goblin and dying, but Harry Osborn in the second film has no idea that Norman was the Green Goblin. Mm. So yeah, it is kind of yeah, it is kind of confusing as to why they would know that, but yeah, and I also quite like the idea that because we all kind of theorized that when um they come into this universe from the moment just before their death. And I like the idea that it was literally just about, for all of them, it was about, it was about the time when they all thought they were about to kill Peter Parker. Um, and they still have that maximum hatred for him. So I feel yeah. like that yeah. worked really well to bring them from that to this. Um, mm-hmm. I think Doc Ock in particular, having that kind of, I had my, you know, my arms around his, around his neck and I was like, when did he, oh yeah, when he was like, when he got revealed who he was and he was trying to kill him still. And I was like, that's a perfect moment to take him out of that because that's when he hits him the most. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, yeah, I feel like when it comes to the Raimi villains, I feel like it's... When they enter the film, the film feels different from from that moment on. <laughs> um, the whole kind of concept of the movie kind of becomes a lot wider. And I watched this film once, the first time with friends and the second time with... Uh, my parents and and the first time there was this whole mix-up so I saw it in a different screening and so I watched it essentially by myself but my friend watching half an hour later um <laughs> very you know confusing but um watching it by myself it was very kind of a, a it was nice to have that experience and I knew what was coming but with my parents there was kind of this thing where they didn't really watch a trailer so they had no idea what the film was about um they barely remembered Far From Home. So the film opens with his identity being revealed. And they're like, oh, I vaguely remember that. And I have the film kind of 
steadily go and here's Green Goblin and here's Doc Ock and all that sort of thing. Having their reactions and I think it's a shame that, you know, we're so on on top of like what's happening behind the scenes now that we kind of knew what was happening. But to see that through their eyes of like just people just arriving one after the other and they're like, oh my God, they're everyone that we've ever seen in these films is back. <laughs> um, which, you know, was insane. And the Andrew and Toby thing especially kind of blew their minds. Um, yeah, so I think this film will, I just, I wish I could experience this film having no idea what it's going to be about. But yeah, it works either way. But yeah. I love the, uh, I love the scene um, with Doc Ock uh and and toby when they're really nice and they have mm. that lovely moment where it's just like it's good to see you my boy how are you? and that that was to me that was the best part of the film was mm. that little moment was when i was in my most like weeping yeah i mean for me still my first viewing i i was crying from I was crying from Aunt May onwards until the credits. Um, so, yeah, that was my first experience. And I think that, like, yeah, I was going to say that that scene is, it could have been very kind of, you know, winking nudes were doing this old line sort of thing. And, but it didn't feel like that. Because you could see in Toby's, Toby's performance, him remembering saying that and then thinking, it's still the same now, I'm still trying to do better. So I'm just going to say that. And it's just a very nice little moment that doesn't, drag the movie down or slow it down it just kind of is there to just have them interact finally again after 20 like 20 years essentially um which is and it's another thing with this film of how it it somehow manages you know because i re-listened to our podcast and you know some of the things loads of people post on i'm thinking it, it it somehow managed to not all but almost all expectations of and 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 stuff we wanted you know we wanted the villains back we didn't want them to ruin their arcs we wanted the reunion of doc ock and toby we wanted the three spider-men to interact we wanted him to save gwen or mj and redeem himself and it you know it it delivered on everything that we wanted from this film Mm -hmm. with how big we you know rumored it to be and demanded just so much and managed to deliver and then some and it, that's it's fantastic how they held three generations but yes endgame was a big thing of you know 10 years of of the mcu but this is generally three generations they hit the nostalgia with people who of course knew toby they got the fan base of everyone who liked andrew and even changed everyone's mind to who hated andrew and then mm. Spider-Man film, and then obviously with the likes of me and you, Henry, you know, our views on the Homecoming trilogy have now mm. sort of been twisted. We quite like them films because we know what it leads to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah, it's incredible. It's yeah, it's kind of it's weird how much the film is doing at all times, <laughs> um, which is really impressive. And I think, I think the film is. It, I don't. I'm wondering if John Watts, director, kind of was aware of the feedback from the previous two films and because generally they're very well reviewed and very well liked like on Rock Mars for example they're both in the 90s like there's nothing there's no reason really why this would be changing the direction of the character based on how people have reacted generally but I'm just wondering if he and everyone at Marvel were aware that people weren't people maybe liked the films but weren't as kind of happy with them as dramatic stories that they remembered from the Raimi films and even 
uh, Andrew Garfield's films, which were, you know, had their issues, but they were always kind of far more dramatic than Tom's films got to be. And I think people were missing that. And I feel like this film, it feels like a director trying to remedy his previous kind of choices, but it doesn't feel like it's too on the nose. Um, it feels quite natural that the character would go this way. Um, mm. And I think for that, I think for me, a real highlight of this film and is how much opposite of how I felt about this film compared to Far From Home was the final swing um, that ends the film. So I think well, looking back on Far From Home and every time I see that film, the final swing with Peter Parker going through the city and doing all this, you know, swing of MJ, that whole thing leaves me so kind of empty and kind of, for me personally, I just feel like that final swing is not earned. I feel like it's just there's a tradition and it it doesn't symbolize some sort of growth that Peter Parker's went through like the previous films have. Um, but if, comparing that to this film, where I'm watching Peter Parker swing, he's not doing the usual like screams of joy or anything like that. He's just kind of just getting through it. And it's Christmas and he's alone and he's broke and no one remembers him. <laughs> and like the world has gone so bad for him and it's just him getting through it by making one last homemade suit maybe inspired by toby and andrew's suits which would be very cool if he says that mm-hmm. later down the line but yeah. um i just felt so fulfilled by this final swing that the character finally to me just felt like spider-man finally um uh, yeah for me that just nailed the spider-man kind of character in just back to back you know saying goodbye to andrew and toby saying goodbye to ned and mj um the coffee shop scene and then that kind of apartment rents to you in two weeks and you gotta make your own costume and go out to have a, a cold Christmas by yourself. <laughs> For some reason that just back to back was just like perfect. Like finally we're doing this with this character. Um and yeah, I loved it. And it's yeah. Did you feel any like I know that you liked the film a bit more, Matthew, but did you feel kind of a a more fulfilled kind of final swing moment with this one? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely say that. I feel like it was just, just like with with the the new, perhaps more classical suit. Because obviously, the last few that Tom Tan have had the black instead of the blue. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the more Spider-Man suit that we're used to, and that, yeah, coming off the back of the scenes we've just had of the decisions he's made. Yeah, it, it was a general feel of pure Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It feels very rewarding to see him still go out there after everything that's happened to him mm-hmm. it's one thing to say that yeah that's it christmas is all al- he's all alone it's the fact that he does make his own suit and he goes straight back out there to fight crime and also it's something, something that we talked about as well i can't remember if we did it on the last episode of the podcast or if we just did it in person um over message was that some one of the things that the mcu version of this character has kind of missed was there's been swinging scenes, but he's never felt like he's been swinging through New York. Mm, like yeah. Previous two films have always had that swinging, you know, swinging low with, with the traffic and between these huge, like, tall buildings. Mm-hmm. But then we kind of, we kind of had that. I mean, I mean, we maybe had it a little bit at the end of Far From Home when he's swinging with MJ. But the mm-hmm. fact that he's now swinging on his own, going off to fight crime, as, as we know Spider-Man will do. It just felt immensely rewarding, building into that sense of 
he's fully become Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, we've you know we've also never seen Spider-Man at Christmas, and you know it looks awfully f- familiar to the to the finale uh, preview of, of Hawkeye. So I don't think they will, but it's it's interesting to think because they do run I think somewhat side by side Hawkeye and Spider-Man. So it would be interesting if there was some Spider-Man reference in the last episode of, of Hawkeye, which is coming out, of course, you know, in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because um, Yelena mentions the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting if that happens. I don't I don't see why they would do that, but it would be fun if they did. Like, it'd be great if um, Tom lands, because I think there's a scene coming up in the last episode where they're on an ice rink and fighting everyone and stuff like that. Yeah. And we, we see an ice rink in the, the final swing. Dude, with the, with the big Christmas tree. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be so cool if he lands there, they have some sort of interaction, but Hawkeye is like, thanks, whoever you are, sort of thing. And it really just nails home that, oh, uh, yeah, no one knows him anymore. <laughs> just for, like, one last thing. Yeah, it would be... The one thing... I don't understand. Sorry, uh, Matthew. The one thing, however, I don't actually quite understand. I was interested to hear your your opinions on from the ending of of Spider Man. What exactly does the spell do? So I know that, but when they've all vanished, the villains and the heroes, hmm. what 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 happens now? Because obviously they can't be transported back to their original. Like Doc Ock's now good. The Green Goblin's cured. So is Electro and Sandman and Lizard. So they're all going to get transported back to the world so they don't get killed by Spider-Man. But mm. Andrew Spider-Man was plucked from after them two films, so after he fought Rhino. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Tobey Maguire was after he battled Venom, so after he dealt with Sandman. So in his universe, he still killed Doc Ock and Green Goblin, but Green Goblin and Doc Ock are now cured. So are they now in like a, an alternative dimension because they haven't been sent back to their dimension so is there now a universe where hello hello oh sorry did my connection just go there <laughs> I think it went. Yeah. The... <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I'd, uh, yeah, I'll repeat the question. So, um, where, where is because Doc Ock is from the same universe as Toby? So, yeah. Mm. What's yeah, I think, I think it might be a case of, I don't know. I think they go back to maybe a different universe. That's just a variation. Where the variation is that they survived. I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think... assumed that they'd go back with their Spider-Man. Mm. Like, I, yeah, I, it's yeah. not going to be a problem for Sandman and Lizard because mm. presumably they're still alive from the point when they got plucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just the dead ones. <laughs> <laughs> I I always, I always imagine that they just go back with their Spider-Man to the present day. Hmm. Yeah, because obviously we imagine that Toby and Andrew, they've come from their timeline mm-hmm. at the sort of the the corresponding point that Far From Home is set. No, sorry, Far From uh, No Way Home is set. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the same year, with the previous films being in the past. So I kind of just imagine they go back to the present day with their Spider-Man. Right, okay. No, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Mm. (laughs) It feels like a case of the the writers going, that's no longer our problem. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I think... Yeah, that, that but then if it like, fixes the issue, no, go on, Henry. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I just, uh, I did, yeah, I think the other options of they go back to the point where just before they died, confused the confused the whole thing because then does that mean that Harry doesn't have a dead dad, therefore no, no, no new goblin. Um, you know, does that mean that you know Doc Hawk is still around? And but then again, would he not just? do the same thing and try to destroy the machine again in the river. So mm-hmm. I think that answer of they go back to their timeline, but with present day Tobey Maguire, present day Andrew Garfield mm-hmm. makes sense. But they're probably just going to be in hiding because everyone thinks they're dead for normal and Doc Ock. <laughs> yeah. Also, imagine the trauma of not having to go back to find out, oh, wait, my son's dead. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. really great. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose um, one sort of extra thing that I alluded to earlier, uh, just a little brief one thing, bit of Charlie Cox. Mm. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. I remember after talking to my, I was talking to my friends after I saw the film for the first time, and we went through all the spoilers, all the things, and then about like half an hour later, went, "Oh my god, Daredevil!" <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many things in this film that you forget in the opening ten minutes, like he just shows up. Um, but yeah, I yeah, very good use of the character. Uh, just the one scene, which is you know, it's okay. I yeah, I really enjoyed his presence, and I'm just very thankful that he just exists because I love that TV show, and I think it's a shame that it's kind of just being left behind a bit. Um, but at the moment, it's going to be maybe coming back in a in a small way. So um, yeah, I was going to guess sort of like a. Yeah, it's interesting to see him. Cause it, and it, as well, one thing with obviously bringing these characters back is, will it feel the same? And he does still feel the same. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So far, he feels... does play a fantastic uh, Daredevil. And there's there's a nice reference um, as well from when Ben, ben Affleck played um, Daredevil in one of the earlier Daredevil films. Uh, the guy who plays Happy Hogan, um, he... Of, of is in the same film as them. So when Charlie and and, and uh, when Daredevil and, and Hogan were sort of having a bit of banter, there was a bit of like you know another wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like really dedicated people who obviously know Ben Affleck's Daredevil and and Happy. Yeah, yeah. he was foggy, wasn't he? I think. Yeah. 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 Happy yeah. was foggy. Hmm. That's so weird to think about. That. They, yeah, that's so oh. weird. <laughs> so it's just a, like it's just a big meta universe joke. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which it, it also kind of links into the whole, you know, could Spider-Man be in the final of, of Hawkeye? Because you know, Kingpin is one of Spider-Man's greatest villains in in, in the comics, or he certainly has a lot of, of presidents in in the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And now Charlie Cox has, of course, helped clear Peter's name. We know Kingpings and in, in Hawkeye. We know Charlie Cox is back as Daredevil. So you know it all kind of just links in the, these two um, these two shows. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
One really off-tangent off thing. I did not know that Vincent D'Onofrio is 62. Is he? Yeah. Oh. Is he? I thought he might be 52. <laughs> yeah, I thought he would be like late 40s, early 50s. Hmm. Damn. Yeah, man. He, uh, he looks great. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's, I just, yeah, I think going forward, I would love to see Spider-Man dealing with more of a Daredevil sort of villain, which feels more ground level and more street level. Um, and again, like more New York. And I feel like I've really missed that in the MCU Spider-Man, because I think he's always been kind of portrayed so far as uh, kind of not on the New York island, but just, you know, in like kind of the, I don't know, what do you call it? But like the... Not quite New York, but yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, kind of like you don't see him often swinging around skyscrapers and to have his apartment now be in the middle of a skyscraper, but, you know, into the corner of a skyscraper, essentially. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, I love that, love that idea. <clears throat> and that his window leads directly into the, the skyline of New York, which I'm really going to enjoy seeing going forward because I really, I really missed that. And yeah. It's going to be really nice to see that. And Christmas time as well. I always wanted to see Spider-Man in a, a snowy New York. And to see that finally as well was mm-hmm. really quite nice. And mm-hmm. yeah, I hope, I hope the next film might do another Christmas sort of story, but actually be a snowy Christmas the entire time. Because I really quite like that aesthetic for yeah. the character. Yeah. yeah, and I'm enjoying the Christmassy feel to Hawkeye as well. Yeah, me too. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah it, it'd, be, it'd be lovely if it did. And as well... Like you said, having Spider-Man team up with Daredevil would be there's part halfly half fifty percent because he'd be with Daredevil, but like mm-hmm. you said, fifty percent because he'd be fighting that sort of street level villain, which would be very interesting because this 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 version of Peter Parker and Spider-Man has definitely been the space version. Mm. Yeah. Um. So to have that grounded element, um, would be great. Hmm. And considering how the MCU is going, you know, you've got the likes of Eternals, Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel, Doctor Strange. It's all very cosmic and multiverse, and they need some more. Which is why I'm glad they're bringing sort of Daredevil back, and you know, Spider-Man seems to be more like New York. Like they need ground-level heroes to sort of balance out the realism between all this cosmic stuff that they've got going on. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so far the Spider-Man has definitely felt like the one that's probably dealing with the biggest on terms of scale kind of villains and consequences. But I just, yeah, I feel like it's Spider-Man for me, at least. My perfect idea of the character is very much just he's fighting criminals trying to rob a bank <laughs> sort of thing, um, which you kind of got a scene in Homecoming, but it very quickly became he's going to Europe and he's solving elementals and mysterio which you know kind of i think for me the opposite of what i like about the spider-man setting is europe so i don't know why that film yeah. <laughs> i don't know why that film is entirely in europe so see him in new york finally and doing a spider-man thing during christmas yeah that just felt finally right and mm-hmm. i think from that i love the fact that i know it's not confirmed but Oh, the fact that the the director of the next film is going to be a different director. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like the series now having kind of a soft reboot in the middle, in like the third chapter, I feel like going forward, it needs just a completely fresh mm-hmm. take on the character 
Um, Here's a question. Is there anyone right now that you'd want to see direct the new Spider-Man film and more Spider-Man films? Sam Raimi. I was going to say (laughs) (laughs) He is, you know, he has done uh, Doctor Strange 2. That's in the can, I think. Um, So, I mean, why not? He is, you can do it. Is there any question? Would you like to see any more of, you know, I know there's rumours of Andrew Garfield, of course, taking over for the Sony side of, of Spider-Man. Would you like to see Andrew and Toby back in the MCU? Or would you like to see like and Toby get another film? If Andrew's going to get another film, like, should both of them get, like, because the, the fourth Spider-Man film with Toby was cancelled. So hmm. are we now at the stage where, oh, well, we can make his fourth film and we'll make his third film. And I give them I'll... to then. Hmm. I think I'll let Henry answer this. <laughs> um, I would love to see Spider-Man Four with Tobey <laughs> Maguire. Um, it's kind of similar to like the way I feel about certain franchises, where it's like, I guess like the Matrix example is like a franchise where I'm like, if I see a, a Matrix film that's not directed by um, the Wachowskis, it's like not to me a Matrix film. I feel the same way yeah. about Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I feel like if, if there's a fourth one, it better be Sam Raimi, because otherwise mm-hmm. it's not to me a Spider-Man four film. It's yeah. just you know it's kind of like another soft reboot for the character to me. I think it would be. Um, and I think for Andrew, I think yeah, definitely. I think this film, like I've been saying quite a lot, it, it feels like a a film that finally gives him time to shine um, properly. Um, uh-huh. So I think similar to like Henry Cavill Superman, I feel like he's kind of like this one of these things where he's a perfect actor for the role. He was just in the wrong movies. <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like I just would love to see that continue with a fresh direction going for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, post this film where he has, you know, maybe a bigger fretless face that has more kind of, maybe his next villain is going to be like a crazy alien sort of thing and it can finally be like oh i'm finally doing the alien thing <laughs> Which kind give of him an like, alien <laughs> yeah like, it'd be a nice little payoff to this like one little joke in this film <laughs> um but yeah i would love to see a i would love to see andrew come back in anything in like mcu or his own universe i would just love to see him just get another chance because he clearly loved the character and was heartbroken by the two films that he made and how that kind of went so see him in this film and actually, you know, to see him lie so well for so long <laughs> is kind of, you know, it's kind of cathartic to finally have him there and kind of not only there, but also be an audience highlight coming out of the cinema. I think like mm-hmm. everyone had the, the shared opinion that Andrew really nailed it. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think he has an, a kind of a new hype around him that could lead into, I hope, something. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I really I really hope they do. Yeah. They do get mm-hmm. to get a chance to make another movie with him and knowing sony i know that they're kind of selfish enough to like do a spider-man 4 whilst they're making tom holland spider-man 4 if that <laughs> makes sense like i know that they would do that for money so i just yeah i don't doubt that it could happen yeah yeah because i've heard like a few uh, you know i've seen a few posts and it's like oh we should give toby Maguire's you know spider-man 4 a shot but make it like a logan style uh, film like final film and mm. as a as a spider-man like project it's a you know if they're gonna if sony's gonna continue their 
their universe with Andrew and give him you know a couple of films. Tom Holland's of course got a lot of films in the MCU. It hmm. would be really interesting to see a, a Spider-Man's story where it's like the Spider-Verse and, and the big man, you know, perfect perfect Peter dies in a hmm. in a sense. So you could like in in theory do a you know a, a Logan style thing but have the kid as as Miles let's say give Toby like a big life farewell arc he could be defeated die and he sort of accepts that and that would be great to give of course Toby one more go because he was really excited for the fourth Spider-Man and then it just gives him like a little little farewell for such an iconic character which of course he's synonymous for really uh, mm-hmm. as Hugh Jackman was with, with Wolverine. And then you can continue the other two Spider-Men projects for Sony and Marvel and, and you know, do what you want with storytelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, I feel like it's... I feel like a Spider-Man 4 that is going to be the last one for that character would make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like with, with Andrew Garfield, I feel like we all kind of had the feeling whether you liked his his movies or not, that they were kind of cut short. Um, mm-hmm. And Spider-Man 3, whilst not being, not intended as, as a, a final film, does feel kind of like a finale. So I feel like people weren't happy with it being cancelled, but were not kind of felt like they were cut off from a franchise before it was meant to actually have a finale. Yeah, there was um, no big cliffhanger that we were, we were robbed of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like Andrew has constantly, since 2014, been uh, wrapped in this will be a third film or continuation at some point because his film is so kind of, it ends on the cliffhanger and it ends around the death of Gwen without him ever fully getting past it. So it feels like we'll deal with it in the next film, but it was never a next film. Um, yeah. So I feel like if it's going to be a Toby film, it will be a final one. But for Andrew, I feel like it will be free fall or uh you know a free fall or uh mcu appearance again or maybe an mcu tv show maybe mm-hmm. um would be you know they could do that as well or you know like we we're saying before maybe in a venom in the venom universe um yeah which would be very it would be yeah it would be really interesting when you think of of, of andrews because in, in in no way home he does of course speak how you know they both say like oh how what they've them as spider-man have done and, and you know toby says oh he's trying to settle down with mj and and be a bit older and more of a life andrew obviously says after gwen he just went you know he got sunk in grief and he became a lot darker of a spider-man but just from like we don't know what 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 happened and what he's done and and what's followed but from the sense of what he was saying you could tell that he was more of a relentless spider-man and he he lost his way in a sense so as a third film that would be again a really interesting thing to look into sort of this grief-ridden uh spider-man who i mean because you can pick it up in two ways either pick it up after no way home uh and continue the happy-go-lucky thing or you could look into you know what he's what he's done um you know all the bad stuff he has done as spider-man following the death of gwen Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I think um, when he says that he got kind of bitter and full of revenge, I do wonder if it was like there was some sort of story that we didn't really mention with a villain like the vulture, maybe that he almost killed or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
which we could definitely, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to see that at some point, which would be nice. Um, yeah, it's it, this film feels like it could go in any direction um, mm-hmm. for every character, really, which is exciting and just a weird kind of place to be in because before it's always just been, you know, the third film, the fourth film with Tom Holland, and now it's kind of like, well, he sounds like Tom Holland might want to take a break for a little bit, so why not? have a, you know, interweaving Spider-Man 4 with Tori Maguire or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I feel like there's there's clearly a, a want for it in the audiences. There's no kind of, oh, we're satisfied by this one appearance and that's it. I feel like there is some sort of, we need more, even though we got what we wanted, <laughs> um, which is kind of the, you know, that's how fan bases work, I guess. You get what you want, you still want more. <laughs> um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I guess you know we'll see. I think, I think Sony especially are would do something with it because they would do anything to get money. So <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, does anything, any other points I want to make about this? Because there's a lot to talk about, and I don't mm-hmm. know if I miss anything. <laughs> there was there was uh, one thing. Uh, if 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 we were going to finish, there was one statistic I wanted to, to end. With. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is sort of similar to what you were saying that Noah Hems had the second largest opening of all time. Of all time? Which, yeah, the, their initial domestic gross for the opening weekend is $253 million. Right. <laughs> their overall worldwide gross after uh-huh. the first weekend is $587.2 million. Oof, Okay. <laughs> Opening weekend. It's only been okay. I think it's only been beaten by Endgame and Force Awakens. Mm. So we're halfway to a billion already. <laughs> yeah. Right. And th- this is mid-pandemic as well. Imagine yeah, no. what that number would be if it was there was no pandemic. Mm. Wow. Yeah, this could be. Um, I don't know. This could be big for uh, what they do big. with the character now because if it's going to be that popular, they're gonna take notice <laughs> um yeah that's crazy mm. which is my point exactly about like spider-man being the biggest property anyone could own at this point so mm. if sony and marvel are like you know what we'll just stick together because we could milk this you do andrew we'll do tom and someone can do you know another one for toby we'll do venom we'll do miles Spider-Verse stuff. Hmm. Like, might even like, bring in the PS4 game into this. Like they could do that. <laughs> yeah, in a, yeah, in a sense, they could. Because hmm. it's not hard to be like, oh, they came to our universe now. They look like real people, <laughs> and that's it. Well, I, think um, be, I think it'd be better if they kept them animated. Maybe. Like yeah, they could came do. into like a live-action one, and they were still animated. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I think you could potentially in one of the Spider Verse films see because I know they did want to do it. I think in the first film, yeah, but the thought would be too ambitious. But I think that's because they had obviously no way home planned. They hmm. could put Toby, Andrew, and Tom now in the Spider Verse. Yeah. yeah, they could. Could do that. That would be insane to see that. <laughs> um, yeah, they could do that, especially with it being like a part one to a part two now, which sounds like a big. It sounds like it's going to be going all out in the second film, so they could yeah. do that. Yeah, that would be interesting. And I think, I, yeah, this 
it's just a weird thing because I think for the past, it's kind of been a little bit sad for me because I feel for the past three or four years we've been seeing Spider-Man films like coming coming out and they are big films and they are very popular, but they feel still when they were part of the MCU when Endgame was coming out and all that, they felt kind of smaller to the the Avengers films. So it's really quite nice to see the idea that a Spider-Man film came out and it became the biggest one. And it's going to be this character is going to be leading the MCU going forward. Mm. Um, that it came out this way eventually. That the character became came to his own, and also became way more popular as ever been before, maybe <laughs> with this film. Because um, people that don't even watch what? Marvel films don't generally really. have been asking me like, why? What's the big hype around this film? And they are going to see it because of the hype around it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of. It's growing, growing beyond the borders of just Marvel fans now, um, which is really going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like when you think of it, you know, the Avengers films are massive because it's it's all the heroes in one big film, and you know, you had Thanos as as a threat. So you know, Avengers Five, what do you do? You've got to build up a new team because you've got Song Chi, Captain Marvel, obviously Spider Man. You know, you've got none of the big team players like Iron Man and Cap anymore. But this film about one character, granted, it's got three of the different actors who's played this one character, but who's came out and smashed it in the park, and it just shows sort of the power you can come with when it comes to you know solo character films like it doesn't have to be this big ensemble i mean technically it was an ensemble film <laughs> but but you know you've got these like these single characters i mean technically like imagine if they did something like this with fantastic four it probably wouldn't be anywhere as great mm. Well, if you having... did it with, like, the X-Men, hmm. as this could be, like, a potential way to introduce the X-Men. It's like, oh, well, we've now got, like, some versions of the X-Men, and we'll team them up now for one, you know, 30-minute segment of a three-hour-long film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hugh Jackman comes back. That would also blow up. Yeah, it would. Yeah, I think this is a weird thing with blockbusters, and especially since the days of, you know, the Star Wars coming back in 2015 it's kind of this weird thing where we're kind of obsessed with things coming back and I think this film kind of highlights that a bit because this film for the most part is kind of garnering a lot of hype around because of all the leaks that were about everyone coming back and I like the idea this film took that energy of everyone coming back and the hype around that and kind of transformed it into you're going to be really excited about where the main character of Tom Holland, the current Spider-Man, is going. So then you'll come back for the next one because we're doing some interesting things over there as well. And I feel like it's done, kind of transformed that hype around, oh, things like nostalgia from a past is coming back into hype for something completely new, um, which is great because I feel like a lot of nostalgic projects that are about people coming back can be a bit kind of a dead end of just remember this thing and remember that thing and this film for the, for the most part was not that at all um and it could have easily been and it wasn't and i feel like there's never a chance in this film where it loses peter parker as tom holland and i feel like in our previous episode about 
what this film could be, that was our main concern because the yeah. hype around this film wasn't Tom Holland as Spider Man, it was about everyone else as their villains or as Spider Man, Toy Maguire, or whatever, and Venom, or whatever it might be. But coming out of the film, I was so happy that I watched Tom Holland as Spider Man in those final few scenes and finally thought, oh, he is finally Spider Man. And for a long time, even though I was, you know, thinking about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, for a long time, that was my primary thought, was Tom Holland and how far he's come in this, in this role. Um, so, yeah, it's weird that they've used the past to make kind of a, an iconic, kind of classic iteration of the character, finally, with Tom Holland. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's nice because, like, like you say, you know, the big worry was, is Tom, Shod- Tom Holland going to be overshadowed? And it, it wasn't. He in this film proved the power of his acting with you know all them raw emotions, the anger, the sorrow, the the sadness that he had, and then the the hopeless joy at the end. Um, and it was it made a lot of people really appreciate his acting, his portrayal as the character, and I think he's really came into his own in this last film. And you know, Toby and Andrew were just there as supporting characters. Mm. As a bit of a nice callback for us nostalgic, you know, fans going way back when. They didn't, like, take over his third film. Mm-hmm. They just sort of helped him a bit. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like yeah. a good, like, outlet for emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I totally agree. I think it could have been very easily became the Tory Maguire kind of show, essentially. It could have became that. And it, yeah. I was kind of hesitant as well like would we get a flashback to the Raimi universe and what happened after Spider-Man 3 and I was like I want to see that my like my fan brain wants to see that but does that just take out like 10 minutes of screen time for Tom Holland and just place it put it in the bin because we're going back to to, to Raimi's films and trying to explain some like after Spider-Man 3 stuff and have it just be just some subtle lines of we worked out of an MJ and I fought some black U from space and that confirms Spider-Man 3 is where this is this is definitely Tor- Tobey Maguire as we know him um so yeah I just very thankful didn't do any sort of really long flashbacks or anything like that um even though I was kind of hopeful that the post credit scene would have been Tobey Maguire in the Raimi films like in the Raimi universe I guess um with MJ and like maybe a child that they had mm-hmm. uh, that would have been a really quite powerful, especially like a, a powerful ending, um, to mm. see that finally. But you know, we got a trailer for a, a new film that looks very good. I yeah, from Sam Raimi as well directing, um, which is insane as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I yeah, this film is kind of incredible that it's doing so much and it succeeds in the majority of it. I think. Um, yeah. Do we have anything else to say? No, I, um, I think we covered everything for me. Yeah? Yeah, I, I've, I've fangirled over all I wanted, and I, I've ranted about the three, the two or three things that I wanted to rant about. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I think yeah, I think that's kind of mm-hmm. our general thoughts and spoilers and, you know, opinions kind of summed up there. As this film had a lot on a lot on its shoulders and it managed to do a great job um, being kind of it's still a story about Tom Holland Spider-Man and for not only to be a Tom Holland story but also to be a Tom Holland story that was finally 
for a lot of people that didn't love the previous two to finally feel like a Spider-Man story as it should be. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, fine. It feels like we're finally at a good place for this character. And if you like the previous two films, then it's even better because you're seeing the character you already love kind of grow even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, it's also weird to be on Twitter and stuff like that. And it's kind of seeing everyone unite and be nice with each other for a bit. Yeah, it's like, weird. It's weird. <laughs> really weird people are nice about this film and the being very supportive and want to see andrew wants to talk wants to tell him it's very you know weird everyone being nice but lovely of course <laughs> um yeah i think that about does it i think yep. i'll just wrap us up um yep. but yeah thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed let us know your opinion on this film it's a you know big film <laughs> so let us you know have a comment on our on the post that we're going to upload or share us with your friends or write a review on any podcast service listening on uh jay do you want to like do any advertisement for your kind of social media um uh yes i run a youtube channel called uh jc life so that's www.youtube.com forward slash jc life j-y-c-l-i-f-e uh i do a bunch of uh podcasts myself talking to different people about mental health trying to raise awareness as well as cool little independent and social challenges. So if you want to check any of them out, please feel free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so that that's something that you follow as well. And also just to remind you again, we do have an Instagram account at Marvelous Podcast and at Cinema Marvelous. Uh, reviews during the week and a podcast on usually a Monday. Uh, probably going to go on a bit, little bit of a break for Christmas, but then be back in the new year uh, with probably i don't know more spider-man stuff maybe i don't know (laughs) um but yeah thanks for listening and uh goodbye yeah thank you very much for listening bye